0: Good morning, good morning. It is great to be here today. Thank you for coming out and being a part of the worship, and it is awesome to see you. Uh, glad to have a, be, able to, be able to have a day to come in and just fellowship with one another and open a word of God. It's been a great week this week. A lot of things have taken place. Uh, I, I did want to kind of touch base with you on one particular um, thing that has taken place. Many of you have been here for some length of time, and last week you know that I had announced about our need to pray for Uh, Steve Robertson and and Irene and Peter and Lucy. um, Well, on on, uh, Tuesday morning, I believe it was, Steve uh, passed away. So just so you're aware, uh, the funeral arrangements have been made for this Friday at Trinity Main Campus over here on the west side of Jacksonville. And I believe the viewings from one to two, and then the service will be from two on. So if you knew Steve and you want to uh, pay respects to them, uh, the arrangements have been made for Friday. Uh, please continue to pray for Irene and Peter and Lucy, uh, just awesome people that love the Lord and uh, part of our family uh, here at Oakleaf as Steve. Steve served here for uh, many years leading worship as the associate pastor, and uh, just thank God for his friendship. Uh, he was a good friend, and thank God for his ministry. So uh, keep that in mind as you move forward with your week. Uh Let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Last week we stopped towards the end of Acts chapter 4. And uh, we're going to dive into a study today that starts in Acts 4 verse 32. And now last week as we studied, we, we saw Peter uh, standing before the religious leaders. And he's, he's telling them about who Jesus is. And he's telling them about what Jesus has done. And, and so it transitions now into another miracle or another um, another supernatural, I'll say, event that takes place here, and it it revolves around some interesting topics on money. Now, I know that I just said money, and some of you just went, ah, money is going to be a side issue. We're going to talk about the real issue, okay? So please calm down. We're not going to talk about money hardly at all in this thing today. You will walk out of here with no guilt about money. But today we are going to talk about Jesus. Amen. Amen. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the gift he is to the church. And let's start. uh, Let's start in verse 32. The Bible says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So what we see here, after this time that the Holy Spirit was given to the church, we see that there's a, there's a, a communal mi- mindset, a communal mentality that, that they were, and I have mentioned this before in previous messages, that as these people traveled to Jerusalem for, to celebrate Pentecost, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. In the process of them coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they wanted to stay in Jerusalem to hear the, the disciples teach about their life and interaction with Jesus. So in the process of them teaching through the life and interaction with Jesus, all these people are staying there and they're away from their homes. So they're limited on their financial resources that they have, but they're staying there to be taught about all these things. So in the process of this happening, there are people there that need food. They need lodging. They need they need the, the, the stuff for their families to be taken care of. They may have had uh, camels and horses and and all of these things that they had came to Jerusalem to be able to make this journey. They thought it was going to be a temporary journey, just a, a few days long. And they get there. They come, they, they become converts, believers in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and their stay gets extended. So now there are some financial needs that are being being displayed in the church. And because of that, we see here that that they basically had this heart of, listen, we're all believers in Jesus Christ and we will take care of those in the faith and they begin to become more of a communal society, a, a communal group that basically began to give to what the needs were of... If you look here and you see in verse 32, there's there's uh, something I want to dive into right off the bat. Now, the full number, if, if you look here in... in uh, Acts chapter four at the end, he says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. I want to talk for a minute. I did a deep dive study into this. What does it mean to be of one heart and one soul? Well, As I began to dive into this, something just unfolded like a flower blooming when it comes to studying the scriptures. If you've ever experienced that, you you know what I'm talking about. So as I began to dive into this idea of one heart and one soul, I I came through some, some commentaries and some writings, historical writings. And what I thought was very, very interesting is if you go back to the book of John and if you turn over to John chapter 4, you'll see in John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to to people, and he's telling them that there is going to be a shift. There's going to be a transition in how people worship God. If you look in verse 23 and 24 of John chapter 4, he says, But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh to, to seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24: God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You say, well, Bill, what's the significance of Jesus saying this in John chapter 4 and what we see here in Acts chapter 4? The significance is when you, when you take this idea that we see Luke gives us here and he says in, in verse th- uh, 32, they were of one heart and one soul. This is pointing to what Jesus was saying that people were going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, th- this, is, this is how you draw the conclusion. They no longer were going to worship through blood sacrifice in the temple, and we've kind of covered that. No longer did, did God reside on the mercy seat in the temple. When Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, you all know the story. If you've been in church any length of time, whether you're watching at home or here on the campus, you know the story if you've been a student any length of time, and that is that when Jesus said it is finished, when he said to tell us to die on the cross, and he gave up the ghost, The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom to give access to anyone. And at that point, God no longer dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. That was in the temple. That was done. That that dispensation is over now. Now we see that there's a transition that takes place that God no longer dwells on the mercy seat. He dwells in the lives of those who become believers in Jesus Christ. So... God no longer is dwelling on that mercy seat. He's dwelling in believers. Now, when we look at this and we see that now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. The idea here is your heart being your spirit. The spirit that you have the spirit within you. This is your belief, your, 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 uh, your personal belief that dwells within you, that makes you who you are. Your spirit, your heart. Then it says here, and soul. Now the soul would point to your mind or your intellect. So when Jesus in John chapter 4 says that the true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and truth, he's saying it's going to be in the belief of your heart and the intellect of your mind that you are going to worship God. So we see here in Acts chapter 4, this is exactly what begins to emerge from The New Testament church that's beginning to develop and gather here in Jerusalem. So, as we dive from that, now I want you to consider the whole basis, the whole basis of what we see taking place in the New Testament church as we we kind of springboard off of this, that we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's belief in our heart, the intellect of our mind, that we worship God and we come before him and we praise him and glorify him and believe that he is who he says he is. So the church is being established on that foundation. We get to verse 33. The message of Christ was the focus. If you look at verse 33, the Bible says, And with great power gave the apostles witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, when you look at this passage of verse 33, we see the second thing in this this study today is that the message of Christ was the focus. The message of Christ was the focus. Do y'all get the hint that I keep saying this every week? Why was the Holy Spirit given? So we could share Jesus. Why did Peter heal the lame man? So he could tell people about Jesus. Why did Peter go before the, the, the rulers in Israel? So he could tell them about Jesus. Why do we see in this place that we're told that we, we worship the Lord with our, our heart and we worship the Lord with our intellect in all of that? Why is it? Because we want to share Jesus. It doesn't stop there. You look in verse 33. Why are the disciples doing what they're doing? Because the power has been given them to share Jesus. And now they are sharing it with more fervency and more, more, uh, more grace than ever before. If you look in verse 33, here's the other cool thing. It says, and great grace was upon them all. When you see that word grace, that word, if you do the word study on it, you'll find out it can be translated thankfulness or gratitude. So these people that had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they had great gratitude and thankfulness because of what God had done in their heart and in their life. And they're living out of that fullness. They realize that Jesus gave of everything on the cross and now they believe him. They believe he's the first of the resurrection and now they're going to live their lives in light of that being the truth. And in doing so, they're thankful and they're grateful as the disciples proclaim the message of Jesus Christ with power and authority. So we get to verse 34. Giving out of grace became their practice. In verse 34, we see that it says, neither was there any among them that had lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. And they laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So we see here that there was a practice in this church. Now, I want, I want, you, to, to, I want you to get a mindset here. So the church of Jerusalem... Jesus is crucified, buried, and risen again. The disciples are testifying to the fact that they laid eyes on him. They touched him. They saw him and lived his resurrection. And they were preaching that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection as we see this take place. As you know, we talked about the Sadducees last week, and that was a problem for them. As we look in the scriptures and we see these believers in the Jerusalem church here that were, that were practicing and were meeting to worship, these believers, in their belief in what they were doing, basically, they did not know when the rest of the resurrection was going to take place. So they lived with abandonment. They no longer needed their houses. They no longer needed all this stuff because now the kingdom of God was here and everything was focused on the kingdom of God. So we see that they laid it at the apostles' feet and distributed to each as they had need. Again, we have, remember last week, I don't know if you remember the number, but we estimate from the scriptures that there was a minimum of 10,000 people that had come to faith to Jesus Christ since the day of Pentecost. 10,000. And these people were staying in Jerusalem to learn more of the faith to learn more of this way that the disciples were teaching and in the process of them learning this way, they needed to be taken care of. So there were believers in this church that basically with all abandonment began to sell things that they had to give to these people so they could stay there and continue to learn and grow in their faith. Now let's look at verse 36. In verse 36, the Bible says, and Joseph." Who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet. Now, I want to look first of all at this man Barnabas. He he says here his name is Joseph, is, is surnamed Barnabas. Barnabas is an important character in Scripture. Very important character. And we see here Barnabas is introduced as a man of God who, who followed the, the tenets and, and believed that Jesus was who he says he was. This is an interesting fact. If you look at the scripture, you'll find out that, that Barnabas was a Levite. Now, Levites born into that family, he would have served in the temple in some way, shape, or form. He would have been brought up in the law, brought up in the prophets, brought up in the teachings of the Old Testament, and he would have known these things inside and out. And he served in the in the, ta- in the temple, and he saw what took place there and the significance of it. And when he hears the message of Jesus Christ, he becomes a believer. He becomes a follower because he connects the dots. The Spirit of God draws him to salvation, and he becomes, becomes a follower. And we see here he's introduced to us in Acts chapter 4. As we see him introduced here in Acts chapter 4, we see he's not just... Uh, his name just is not just Joseph but Barnabas, and it says here, the son of consolation. This is to say in in our modern terms he was he was the guy that encourages people that that's what his name means the encourager, the guy who lifts people up and as we see here you you would see from his name that just in his name alone, the guy who lifts people up, the encourager. You wouldn't see someone with this name or reputation to do anything less than to sell what he has to encourage others to continue in their faith and in their walk with Jesus Christ. Now, if he's a Levi, we also see from the scriptures that he's from the island of Cyprus. Now, the island of Cyprus is the biggest island in the Mediterranean, and it's not very far off the off the coast of Israel. And this Isle of Cyprus was a very rich island. It had a lot of a lot of resources, a lot of agriculture and oil and 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 uh, and. In what he had there, he was raised in this environment where wealth was there. Now, I'm going to bring it in a little bit later on to the to lesson, but uh, he was raised in somewhat of a Gentile society there on Cyprus. So when we get to Acts 11:24, this is what the Bible has to say about Barnabas. The Bible describes him as a good man filled with the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas was a man who had committed himself. And as we continue to read the word of God and we study through Acts, we're going to run into him again. But his reputation was one of a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This was the reputation he had. Now, he, he ends up, if you go to Acts chapter 9, he ends up being introduced to the person we're going to study down the road here named Paul, who was Saul who got converted on the Damascus Road. And Barnabas was one of the key factors to Paul's discipleship and being introduced to the other apostles. Now, understand the apostles were scared of Saul because Saul was the one who was killing the church and and causing torment and all kinds of problems within the church. So the disciples, the apostles, they were scared of Saul and they didn't want to know him. They didn't want to be around him because they knew what he was. They didn't trust him. But Barnabas took Saul under his wing and begins, he he disciples Saul and he teaches Saul and eventually introduced Saul, now Paul, to the other apostles. And as we know, Paul and Barnabas, both having Gentile backgrounds, were key players in the gospel being spread to the Gentile world. Listen, God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. So when we see Barnabas come on the scene here in Acts chapter 4, we're getting a little bit of an introduction to this guy because we're going to learn more of him as we dive into the Scriptures. So we get to the end of Acts chapter 4. We have this story of Barnabas. He sells everything, lays it at the disciples' feet, and then it gets that, that money gets distributed to people who need it to be able to survive and live. Look at how Acts chapter 5 starts. Do you see the word at the beginning of Acts chapter 5? It says, but whenever you see that in scripture, you're getting ready to see a contrast. You're getting ready. Now, I know for sake of our scriptures, how we have them broken down chapters and verses and so forth. But Acts chapter five is continuing the story that ended in Acts chapter four. It says Barnabas was this guy. But if you look here. It says, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostle's feet. When you look here, we see that this this but in scripture is important because it's gonna draw a contrast. Here's a guy named Barnabas who's full of the faith, who's full of the Holy Ghost, who is is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And then there's Ananias. We see in scripture that Ananias is introduced here and the Bible says that he sold a piece of property for a certain amount. But if you look here in verse two, it says they brought a portion of that amount. Look Look at what it says here, it says, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if you look in the scriptures here and you see the significance of this, like Barnabas, Ananias, and Sapphire sell property and give the proceeds to the church. But that word indicates, the but there indicates that there's a distinct difference between the man Barnabas and the man Ananias. As you dive into the scripture, you see here, interesting thought. And you guys may have picked up on this. I like looking up what people's names means. Have y'all picked up on that yet? Okay. So Ananias, his name means Jehovah is gracious. His name means, that's what his name means. So when you said, hey, Ananias, you're saying, hey, Jehovah is gracious. And he married a woman named Sapphira. Now, Sapphira is another interesting name because Sapphira is a derivative of the, of the, Stone named Sapphire. The stone named Sapphire has an interesting play in Hebrew culture. You're familiar with the the high priest and how he would wear the Urim and the Thummim on his shoulder. And he had a breastplate that had the 12 stones representing all of Israel. And the one in the middle over his heart was a Sapphire. Now, when you look at this, her name means beauty or or. Uh, pretty or pleasant, but understand that it had to deal it, it kind of in some ways had to deal with grace. So when you look at her name and its association to the high priest and the law and the sacrifices that were made, and you look at his name, Jehovah is Jehovah's gracious, you see grace and the law married in their relationship. When you see this take place here, you see that there's a picture drawn in the church. Now, this was, if you look in the pastor scripture, verse one and two, you see that this property was sold and given the, the idea here is they gave the appearance of giving all of the proceeds to the church. They wanted to be like Barnabas. And countless. If you read scripture, you'll find out Barnabas wasn't the only one. He was just one of the ones that was mentioned. So they see what takes place and they decide in their hearts, they want to do the same thing. So Ananias was attempting to imitate somebody following Jesus Christ. Well, I saw what Barnabas did, so I want to do what Barnabas did. And he begins to go down this path. But in the process of doing it, He's not quite as committed as Barnabas, so he he wants to keep back a portion for himself. See, Barnabas did it with abandon. Barnabas did it. He sold what he had and, and wanted to help. Ananias is doing it and saying, I want it to appear like I'm giving up everything. However, I'm not giving up everything. I'm going to keep a portion back. Listen, as believers, guys, we cannot serve Jesus Christ halfway. You you can't become a believer in Jesus Christ halfway. Do you understand that? You can't say, well, 50% of me believes he's the son of God, so 50% of me is going to believe, but 50% of me is not going to believe. Listen, you either believe he's the son of God or you don't. This is why we come back to what I said earlier in chapter 4, where we see that they were of one heart and one mind. When we see that, the heart and the soul, the, the belief, factor of a person's life, and the intellect factor of a person's life, and putting their faith in Jesus Christ is what it takes. And we look here and we see Ananias was one who was not willing to fully commit. As you look here, you see he was attempting to imitate, imitate a follower of Jesus Christ. That brings me to what happens when we imitate. Hypocrisy consists of an attempt to imitate or assume the appearance of something. So I want you to consider that in the Greek culture, uh, they would have plays that they would put on. And, and in these plays, the, the people in the plays, the actors up on the stage, would put on masks. They were actually not, we think of masks as like Halloween masks where you get the Incredible Hulk and you put it on, it has a little rubber band around your head and you, you put the muscle suit on and you run around and you're the Incredible Hulk, right? That's what we think, okay? In Greek culture, it was a little bit more rudimentary than that. They, they had like these big, these big uh, hoods. Uh, they, that were finished. They were like porcelain, or or like like some type of of basically whole surrounding helmet type thing that the person who was up on the stage acting would put on, and then they would they would do their interpretation of the character with this mask on and this costume. So, what we see here is that in the scriptures, Ananias attempts to become. Today's term, what we call is a hypocrite. In the Greek culture, they called the actor, the person on the stage, a hypocrite because they took on the appearance of someone else or something else. And then they would interpret their their acting, and so forth through what they believe that person would be. And what we see here is Ananias becomes, in Scripture, a hypocrite. He wants to appear to be a believer in Jesus Christ. He wants to appear to be someone who has sold out to everything. And look here. Notice there is no indication of a godly reputation of Ananias in Scripture. I want you to consider that. We read about Barnabas, right? You study scripture, you will not find anywhere that depicts Ananias as a godly man, one filled with the Holy Spirit, anything to the sword. You don't even see, if you look here and you, you look at what we see here in Barnabas and who he is, he is known, his reputation in verse, uh, verse uh, was it 34, or excuse me, 35, is he is, he is known as the, the, the one of cons- consolation or the one of comfort or the one of encouragement. But we don't see in Scripture it's recorded that Ananias has any scriptural, biblical feature for his church life. We see here that the word tells us in chapter 5, verse 2, and kept back part. Now, when you look into this idea of he kept back part, the, 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 here, here is the idea. It's to separate in a clandestine way. That's how it's interpreted. So it's not just that they sold the property and kept a little bit. It's that they they sold the property in such a way that they tried to cover up in the sale that they were keeping a portion of the funds. So this was not necessarily public knowledge or anything to that degree. This was something that was done in secret. But then we see here that they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this was evidently an act of professing all to God in front of everybody because people in the church, they would bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet so everybody could see. Then we get to verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Listen. Because of the clandestine way that they kept part of it aside, we we see here that Peter somehow knows whether it be through Holy Spirit revelation or whether it be through someone that knew of the deal in the clandestine movements that were being taken to cover it up. Peter had knowledge of their deceit, but no one else did. So Peter's take or Peter's comment to them, as you see here, is Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I want to stop there just for a moment and and look at this again. Now, I'm going to go back to the heart. Remember back in chapter four, we looked at in in the passage of Scripture there that they are of one heart and one soul. Now we see here that Peter addresses Ananias and said, Satan had tempted your heart He's 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 focused on your belief. He's focused on what you genuinely believe. Do you genuinely believe God is who he says he is? And he says, if you did, why did you try to lie to him? Because, you know, if God is who he says he is, you can't fool him. Verse three says, But Peter said in ice, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back yourself a part of the proceeds of the lands? Listen, the second thing I want to look at is listen. Great deeds of of wickedness have been done in this world because of Satan attacking people's belief. Listen, if you're in this place and you've been a believer in Jesus Christ for any length of time, I can't help but think there's come points and times in your life as a believer, as you've matured and grown, that you have struggled in your belief. You've struggled. You may have even be tempted to sin in your belief. You say, well, what does that mean? That means I'm going to commit a sin thinking that God won't see it. Or God won't do anything about it. Or God, God won't care. Listen, God does care. And when we sin in our lives, it produces a, a, a place in our life where we call into question our belief. Now, I want you to consider this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says this, wherein in times past we walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that I worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen, Paul writes in Ephesians that in our hearts, in the past, we walked this way. How did we walk? We walked in such a way where we followed after the course of this world. We were on the, the, the path of this world. We were not on a godly path. And then he says in in Ephesians 2, he says, completes it with this, according to the prince and power of the air. This is according to the influence of the devil and and evil influence in this world. It's no different than what we see here that happens to Ananias in verse 3. Peter questions him and says, your heart, he filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Satan did this to you. We see here, this is where we understand that Ananias was playing the hypocrite. He was trying to portray himself as one thing when really he was another. How about verse four? If we look here, we see, while, while it remained unsold did not it remain your own, and after it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived? That is that word contrived in Scripture? You can also look at that as a word plotted. Why have you contrived or plotted this deed? Look at that again in your what? In your heart in your belief system of who God is you plotted this this plan look at what he says here at the end you have not lied to man but to God he says Ananias you you have you have you have lied you have tried to deceive God listen it's one thing to be a hypocrite to people around you it's another thing to think that you can be a hypocrite with God you get me? God sees everything. You can't fool him. You can't manipulate him. And that's really what it comes down to is Ananias in the scriptures here is being accused of trying to manipulate God. He is being a hypocrite and thinking God can't see it and I'm going to do it. Now, as I was studying this passage, I thought it was, I thought it would end there. But then as you guys have noticed over the last several weeks, God begins to work on Bill. Y'all know Bill needs work, right? Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, okay? Bill needs work. And then I was laying in bed, I guess it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, my eyes popped open. And I was thinking, I was thinking this message was going to be good. It'll, it'll, It'll challenge us. And then God said, hey, hypocrite. And honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. My mindset was, just leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. I couldn't get back to sleep. In my heart, I became, as I was studying, I became so judgmental towards Ananias. And Ananias thinking that he could deceive God, that he could manipulate God, that he could fool God. And I I, I honestly, I began to judge in my heart how dumb and how stupid and how I, I begin to just think of foolishness of and God wakes me up in the middle of the night and says hey hypocrite hey wake up I'm working in your heart see you think that you can manipulate me and you think that I don't see what you do and you think that that I don't know what's going on and you live your life thinking that just because the people at church don't know or your wife doesn't know or or you fill in the blank that but I know your thoughts I know your heart. I know what you believe. You believe you're getting away with this stuff. You, you believe I'm not watching. You believe I'm not looking. You, you've put the, the mask on and you've, you've put the costume on and you think that everything's good. And that might work with people around you. But Bill, hello, God's talking to my heart. He's convicted me. And I'm saying, but God, I'm really trying hard. He says, it's not about trying hard. It's about your heart. Listen, how many times have we seen the best intentions of man? turn into chaos it's not about our intentions when it comes to god it's about our heart and when we look at ananias here we see yet again that his heart is brought into the conversation his core belief system why he does what he does how he views what he views when he looks at it he sees here he says your heart you have not lied to man but to god listen he chose to lie about the sale price That's what he chose to lie about. And by the way, God saw fit to write this in Scripture so we would learn about it today. I have a question for you. What do you lie about? I'm not going to tell you what I lie about. I have my relationship with God and my time with God and as as I struggle daily in my walk with God. Yeah, there's days where in my heart and my mind I think. Well, if I do this, then God will have to do that. You ever been there? You know, maybe we lie about our marriage and how good it is. Maybe we lie about our money. Maybe we lie about our 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 children, or maybe we lie about about uh, our workplace, or maybe we lie. Listen, there's so many ways at which we can we can lie, not just to one another, but to God Himself. To to in our hearts to try to make it out that things appear better than they really are and we try to convince ourselves and believe that those things that are a problem aren't really a problem and god's saying from his word they are a problem it's your heart these things are a result of your heart so think about this i got i'm again three o'clock in the morning i'm 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 now awake and working through this I got to thinking Bill why do you do the things you do sometimes can I preach to Bill for a minute and y'all just sit back and if it applies to you y'all can y'all can use it listen I don't want you to think less of me but I want you to realize that I'm a human just like you I'm not superhuman I got a sin nature too so I got to thinking I thought God I really don't want to tell the people at church about this and he said are you real do you believe or not you believe i am who i am how about this sometimes i we might do things to be able to accrue more influence and power with people it's not that we're doing it because it's right or wrong it's not that we're doing it because we believe god wants us to do it sometimes we do things for the simple angle of trying to accrue trying to accumulate more power to us with people. Sometimes we do things because we want people to think we're better than what we really are. I know I'm guilty of that. Listen, maybe you're here today. and You don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, but you come to church every week and you, put, you, 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 you carry your Bible and you come in and you sit and you watch. Maybe you log in online every week and you try to watch and you try to even bring up conversations throughout the week about what you may have saw at church. But I'm telling you right now, when you look in the scripture, it's a hard issue. People, Listen, why do I want to do this? Because I want people to think I'm better than what I really am. Or maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you just want people to think that you are a believer. So you try to fool people, and in the process, you're trying to fool God into thinking that you're a believer. And by the way, that doesn't work. Here's another one. Maybe maybe we become the hypocrite to avoid feeling guilty or facing conviction about something that we've done. How about this? This is a Strong motivation. Have you ever done anything out of jealousy? Come on now. I'm looking at a room full of people, hundred and some people, and every one of you are looking at me like I'm the worst person in the world. Guys, is this just me? If it's not just me, say amen. Help me out. All right, it's not just me, okay? Guys, every one of us could fall into the trap that Ananias fell into. There's not a one of us exempt from it. Maybe it's because we have an integrity issue and in not following God. Listen, guys, when we look in Scripture and we see what happens here, the deed, if you look in verse, thir- verse 4, the deed in your heart, he says, you've not lied to man, but to God. See, it's one thing to do some of these. And I just listed a few things here. I didn't want to give you the whole list because then you'd literally not respect me at all. So when you look at this whole list here, just, just this part, okay? I want you to consider this. Guys, any one of us may be able to fool this crowd. But you can't fool God. God knows where your heart's at. And by the way, you know where your heart's at. And guys, when we know where our heart is at, it makes a huge difference in our motivation to do what we do. See, God's a discerner of all things. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, concerning the dividing of the soul and spirit. And then it says at the end of that verse that it, the Word of God, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, guys, living for God and living the way that God would want us to. It's it's not about how much money you give. It's not about how many times you attend church. It's not about what you do to to uh, to help hungry children. It's all that stuff is uh, is a is a product of where is your heart? And your heart, where your heart is going to discern or determine, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the cause of Christ? And Ananias, in this story, we see Barnabas gives what he gives and he's doing it because he's all in for Christ. We see Ananias comes along and the Bible says, but there's this guy named Ananias, his wife named Sapphira, and they're doing this. Why are they doing it? They're not doing it because they're sold out to God. They're doing it because they want to play the part of looking like they're followers of Jesus Christ. So chapter 5, verse 5, and I have to hurry. We've got to be done. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young man rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, I'm not even going to go down that path. Verse 8, and Peter said unto her, Tell me whether you sold this land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord. This idea here, that word test, I love this. When I did a deep dive study into that word test, <laughs> this is what it means. It means you tried to manipulate the Holy Spirit. You tried to manipulate God. How is it that you have agreed together to manipulate, try to manipulate or try to try to test God, the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Now, get to verse 10. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last breath. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now, I want to stop and say this. First of all, as I studied this, I remember all the stories I heard growing up as a kid, okay? The first thing I want you to notice in Scripture, you can study it inside and out six ways a Sunday. I did it all this week. It's amazing. I read all kinds of commentaries, all kinds of Bible translations. I mean, One thing, you will never find the word of God give any indication that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. But you will also never find any indication where the Bible emphatically says they were not believers. However, when it comes to Barnabas, it says he was a man full of the Holy Ghost and faith. Okay? The next thing we see here, and again, I'm I'm trying to teach you two sides. I'm trying to be a good teacher here and say, look at these two things. The other thing is, the Bible never says that Peter or God are the ones who killed Ananias and Sapphira. Never says that. The implication is there, but it never says it. Now, we don't know how old they were. It could have been an age factor that their health and when this was brought to their attention, the anxiety and the the blood pressure and everything else could have skyrocketed and caused them to fall dead because of physical issues. We do not know. You say, well, Bill, what's the significance that you would even bring this up? This is the significance. Because when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, all sin was judged. Amen? It was judged for anybody who believes, right? When you believe, that means that Jesus' righteousness is put on you. If Ananias and Sapphira were believers, then why would God judge them for their sin? Because all sin was judged on the cross, and God is not an unrighteous or an unequal judge. He is not going to judge us a second time for something that's already been taken care of. Amen? Amen? So, when we look at the passage of Scripture here, we see that we don't know why they died. We just know from Scripture, and again, this may not fall with the Sunday school stories you've heard throughout the years. I'm just telling you, we don't know for sure the, the situation here that caused this to take place. Outside of the fact that now they're dead. Now, one of the things I wanted to bring up is God may have taken their lives. He may not have taken their lives. It makes a little bit more sense if you don't think that they were believers. Because if you go to the, Paul's writings, you'll see that people who are unbelievers and take of the communion table, take it unworthily. And in doing so, they run the risk of becoming sick or even dying. So an unbeliever could face that judgment because they have not believed in Jesus Christ. So with that being said, God takes unity and equality in the church very seriously. When we look at what takes place here, how, how serious is it when someone uses the work of God to make a name for themselves? As I said that little list earlier, what happens when we utilize our Christianity and we try to fool People and fool God into thinking that we're doing things for a just cause, that our heart's in the right place when really it's not. How about the second thing I was thinking? How serious is it when some people are lifted up and others are put down in the church? There's equality here. How serious is it when people do things that create dissension and division between believers? It's very serious. But all of this is a result. All of this is a symptom. It's a byproduct of what's in the heart. So when we look in the scriptures and we see the point of this is, where is your heart? As you look at verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So the major sin of Ananias and Sapphira was dishonesty, deceit, hypocrisy, pretense, Presenting a false image of themselves. Implying a greater spirituality than they are actually even possessed. Letting people think more highly of them than they knew was really warranted. They were more interested in in appearances than reality and the truth. Peter said, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. In their heart, their belief they thought that they were better than everybody else they thought to operate in dishonesty and deceit they played the hypocrite all these things took place so i have a question for you and i had to ask myself this question am i allowing myself are you allowing yourself to act this way do you realize that the heart of the issue is the heart we lie to god when we behave this way when we put a mask on and play the part instead of being the authentic believer that God's called us to be. Listen, if you're a child of God allowing this behavior to creep into your life, you need to step back and check your heart. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what we do, what we say, how we act, all that takes place, it needs to be forged in the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who went to the cross of Calvary. He shed His blood and took on the sins of the world so that we might be made the righteous of God through Him. He was put in a grave and three days later rose again. And he walked the earth for a little time, about 50 days or 40 days. And then he ascended up into heaven. And if you're here today and you believe that Jesus is Messiah and that he paid for your sin on the cross. Then your heart. Your heart should be all in for Jesus. But that's hard in our flesh. Because our flesh thinks of ourselves. Maybe you're here today and you're an unbeliever. And you've been playing the part really well. And you, you think that you have people here fooled. But the reality is you can't fool God. You might be able to put the mask on and the, and the costume and think that, that uh, everybody here is okay with you. But the reality is one day you will, you will take your last breath from this earth and you will stand before an almighty God. And the question is when you stand before him, is he going to say, depart from me for I never knew you? Or is he going to say, welcome into my presence? That is determined by your heart. Do you believe Jesus is Messiah and paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary? If you do, call out on him. Ask him to come into your heart, your life, forgive you for your sin, and give your life to him. Listen, regardless of whether you're a believer or unbeliever, when we act in a way that isn't honoring to God, we dishonor the cross. Listen, today, let's inspect our hearts and verify that we are not just playing a part, but that we are. Living out authentic Christianity, authentic Bible-based believing in our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how you love and care for us. Thank you for this passage in, in Acts chapter 4 and 5. And, Father, that uh, it really all comes down to a heart issue. God, when we come to a place where we, we want to judge others or we we uh, we do things in a Hippocratic way, and, and Father, we 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 do these things in such a way we, we dishonor you father it brings harm and hurt to the body of christ father i pray that today as we look at what we see in scripture from ananias and sapphira's behavior i pray that we will be careful about because father we too we too fall into the trap many times of playing the hypocrite so today father i pray that you'll help us to look at our heart As we we follow after you, as we pursue you with our heart, taking all the things that we have learned of you and applying to our lives, strengthening our belief, God, I pray that you'll help us to live lives that authentically point to you as the Savior. As we live our lives, help us not just to the world to represent Jesus Christ, but to one another in the household of faith to represent Jesus Christ and be authentic in doing so. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's stand to our feet this morning. Maybe you need to do business with God at your chair. I, I know that in my heart, in my life this week, God's been working in my life about, about my heart and where it needs to be. I want to encourage you today to pray and, and ask God to show you in, in yourself, in your heart, where are you at? Are you a believer? If you're a believer, are you living an authentic believer's life? If you're not a believer, today is the day you could become a believer in Jesus Christ. Is pray and accept Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for your sin. You can take a minute as Jeff sings, do business with God right there where you're sitting. I need thee.